Scripture today is from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, we ask the blessing of God on the reading of his word. Good morning and a happy Sabbath, church. Can you hear me good? All right, so this is Hector's second sermon, and this is a second part to the first sermon we did in December, which was Youth in Service to the Lord. And this sermon is about the crisis in the church. So um, if you're unaware of what that is, it has to do with we have a lot of our youth leaving the church. In fact, I think it's like 60 or 70 percent of young adults are leaving the church and not just the Seventh-day Adventist church, the whole church as a whole. So um, in this sermon, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, what we can do to try to help, uh, I guess, not solve the problem. Um, but to slow that down or uh, what can we do to encourage our children not to leave? Um, we're going to address the parents who are concerned about their children um, in these days because um, they have, they they got a very difficult job right now. Like they're up against this world, and this world um, is in full rebellion. So we're going to talk about what the Lord has to say to encourage our parents out there. Um, it could become very easy for. Um, parents out there whose children have grown up in a different time, or those those of who don't have children to make a judgment. Um, if, there, if someone else's kids aren't in church and they're not doing these sort of things. But we need to take into consideration um, what our youth are facing. This, these are unprecedented times. Um, we live in a world of abundance, especially in America, which means that we also live in a world of moral of corruption, an abundance of it. Um, let me ask a question to the congregation and get get some mics because I'm gonna have some people right get one. Okay. Let's let's just go back just a hundred years a hundred years from now. What are the differences between that time and today, as far as more the more like more corruption, the the challenges that the youth in that time period face compared to what they face today, like like. What what were the distractions that were after our children's attention? Like that's basically what this comes down to: a, a person's attention. Does anybody have like like Does anybody remember their parents talking about their, that time period in their life? Like what they were going through at that time? Like morally? Well, in the 1920s, there weren't any drugs that I'm aware of as far as people doing that. Very little. Uh, Very. I was not uh, there was. There's alcohol, but not yeah. not the abundance of drugs that we have today. Um, what about entertainment? If you lived in the city, you probably might have had some access to it. But if you were in the country, which more of our USA was rural at that time, mm-hmm. so there wasn't any. And how how about time to partake? And we need to get mics. Yeah. Uh, just raise your hand if you got one, so we can bring a mic to you. But what about the time to engage in? Entertainment or distractions. How much time did you have in those days compared to now? 
Very little. You worked on the farm. When it, what was the average probably age when people left the farm or left the home? I'm, and I'm just talking about in general in the past. Was it 18 or was it maybe in their 20s? If you go back a thousand years, it was probably in your 30s or 40s before you even left. That's a big difference between the maturity of kids and those and of people who left the home in those days compared to now, right? If you were 30, 40 years old, you're a grown man, right? You've been raised up in a, in a, in a structured home and taught the truth for 20, 30, 40 years. Now kids are leaving at 18, all right? So there's a big maturity gap that was happening here. So we're going to, all these things are factors, right? Um, so our parents have a, a big task ahead of them. They have a lot they have to consider. Um, like, I don't know if you are aware of this, but this bathroom thing with uh, kids get to choose what bathroom they get to, they want to go to. Like, like, that's something that we never even thought of would be a thing, right? Well, this is something parents have to consider while putting their kids in public school because, like, if, if a male says, I'm a female, he can go into the female bathroom. And if a female says she's a man, then she can go into the male bathroom. Like, these are, these are things that we never dealt with. These are things that they have to deal with, and our parents today have to deal with. So it's not a very simple answer to solving this because it's a very complicated matter. So um, I just want to go over that really quickly, just kind of talk about what are our kids really up against today? So I need someone to read 2 Timothy uh, verses 3 through 8. I got that right. Yeah. Can I get a volunteer? Can I get a volunteer? I know everybody's looking for it. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as James and Jambers resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved, discerning the faith, and they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Thank you. So what was the description of the latter days? It's not very good, was it? When we think about our children leaving the church, and like I said, this isn't just the SDA church. This is all, all denominations. Um, they, they, have a, they have a lot of decisions to make, moral decisions to make. And 
the culture that they live in, especially here in America, it's, it's designed for them to fail. I'd say it that way. It's designed for them to fail. If you're trying to be morally up, upstanding and a servant of God, you're going to have a lot of problems in our society. So what Hector is going to read here first is uh, why some uh, suggestions of why our youth leave. So uh, go ahead, Hector. Generation change. Why our youth leave? The church needs to wake up to the realization that the emerging generation is not just the so-called church of the future. It's the church right now. This generation of young, courageous, and bold Seventh-day Adventist Christians are redefining the very fabric of how we do church in our cities, communities, and country. Like no generation before, our young people have access to limitless information. They live in a world where social media is redesigning the way people interact. They live in a world filled with innumerable ideas, belief systems, and ways of life. And while that world certainly does not answer their deep soul questions, all too often they fail to find relevant answers from their churches. And And we can keep them in the church. Myrna Tetz and Gary Hopkins note the youth fly in Adventism and the graying of Adventism when they tell us that the average age of the local church back in 1965 was 35. And in 1995, an alarm in 65. According to Tom and Sam Rayner's research, the youth who leave the church don't completely depart from their faith. Rather, they part ways with their church. Their study of 18 to 30-year-old adults in America who attend church regularly for at least one a year during high school identified seven reasons why young people leave their churches. One, they want to take a break from church. Two, they are turned off by judgmental attitudes and hypocrisy seen in the church. Three, they have moved to another community. Four, their work responsibilities conflict with their church attendance. Five, they have a busy social life. Six, they they are wary of church politics. Seven, their attendance was based on only the desire uh, to please others. In a five-year research projected by project headed by Barna Group President David Kinnaman, issues that challenge faith development among teens and young adults were identified. The resulting book, You Lost Me, Why Young Christians Are Leaving Church and Rethinking Faith. Kinnaman lists six reasons why nearly three out of every five young Christians, 59%, disconnect permanently or for an extended period of time from church life after age of 15. One, church, churches often seem over, overprotective, making it difficult for them to connect with the world. Two, teens and 20-somethings experience of Christianity and shallow. They say churches that are irrelevant to their lo- daily lives, that there isn't enough in-depth, in-depth study of the Bible and a real-life in-depth relationship experience with God. Three, churches across as an Churches come across as antagonists to science. Research shows that many science-minded young Christians are struggling to find ways of staying faithful to their beliefs and to their professional calling in science-related industries. Four, young 
Young Christians' church experiences related to sexuality and are often simplistic or judgmental. The modes of teaching that the church uses are not re- relevant to the sexual exposure of and education young people have outside the church. 5. Young Christians wrestle with the exclusive nature of Christianity. Younger Americans have been shaped by a culture that esteems open-mindedness, tolerance, and acceptance. Six, the church feels unfriendly to those who struggle with doubts. These are just a few reasons why this generation is slipping out back door, and their research suggests that these young people are not likely to return later in life. Something, therefore, has to change in the way we do youth ministry. Something that will keep our youth people connected with God and the church. Something more than a set of rules to feed their faith. Something that will anchor their solid conviction and purpose to their, in their beliefs. More than anything else, our youth need Jesus as the core of their lives, since the Great Commission commands us to teach and make disciples. We have to ask the question... What are we doing to make true and passionate disciples among our young people? Okay, so when we say young adults, we're actually talking from teens all the way up to maybe 30, 32. I think that's what we classify young adults. I can't remember what the the numbers were. But typically, uh, our youth that are in their 20s and in their very early 30s. So teens all the way from that time period. So when I say youth, that's what I'm referring to. Um, So let me just real quick what he was talking about. Um, these are reasons why young people leave the church. They want to take a break from church. Now, if you notice what he said, is that what they, what a lot of our young people are saying, they're not leaving the faith. They're leaving the church. They're separating the two, right? Like it's they, they don't want to be a part of the church body, but they still believe in God. They still consider themselves to be Christians. They still consider themselves to be on a spiritual journey heard that a lot these days where people are going on these spiritual journeys um, so basically there's something about the church body that is not appealing to young people so that's a big clue to what I'm going to be talking about here in just a minute later on they're turned off by judgmental attitudes and hypocrisy seen in the church okay we live in the age of the internet we live in an age of abundant information um, we hear stories from all around the world, we do. We no longer live in a time where you could do something in secret and it stays secret. When you do something, people will find out. Therefore, hypocrisy is more uh, easily seen now. And young adults don't like hypocrisy. They don't want you to tell them what they should be doing and then watch you do it. And I, that's not, not just our youth of today. That's from all time. The problem was in the past, you could do something in secret and they would never find out. Now they will. So the problem that youth, our youth are having is with hypocrisy in the church. Um, they have moved on to another community, which is what I was talking about earlier about they're not leaving in their 30s and 40s, they're leaving when they're 18. And they're leaving to go off to college where they're surrounded by other youth, young adults, making bad decisions, and their parents are 100, 200,000 miles away. What do we think is going to happen? Their, their, their maturity levels aren't where they need to be. 
for most, not all, there's no such thing as all, but for most, they're being influenced by the world. Therefore, um, what we're going to talk about here in, in the next couple of sections, what can we do to combat that influence as, as parents, as a church body? Their work responsibilities conflict with their church attendance. This was my problem when I went to, um, when I went to college. As you all know, I was born in this church, um, and I was raised right. And my, I love my church body. I never had a problem with my church body. I love all of them, and I think y'all have been great teachers. But when I went to Tyler, I don't know how many of you remember this, but I didn't come to church for four years, and I just lived in Tyler. That's, what, 50 miles away. Four years I didn't come to, come to church. I didn't go to church up there, and I didn't come to church here. That was part of the reason why when I had the decision to move, I moved back home because I knew I needed to. <laughs> I knew I was going the wrong way, and if I would have moved to Austin like I wanted to, the Lord was impressed upon me that you're about to make a terrible decision. That's why I came home, because I needed the structure that my family had provided me in the past. That's why I'm here today, um, because of that decision. But... I didn't come to school, I mean church, for four years. And I was going out on Friday nights and Saturdays and, Saturdays and working on Fridays and Saturdays. And like I said, it's designed for you to fail. Because everything that we want to do as young adults is on Friday night and Saturday. Right? So as a young adult, that's a lot of maturity that's needed not to go out and do that. So once you start going down that road of sin, it becomes easier and easier and easier to keep doing it. That's why I had to come home. Now I'm talking for, for me. I actually considered my kids as growing up to be a lot more mature than I was when I was growing up, which is a testament to the parents in this church. They're a lot more mature <laughs> than I was, as you can see. So that's something we have to consider is that the world is designing everything for them to fail. They have a busy social life, what I was just speaking to. They are weary of church politics. I don't want to get into any specifics, do we, but do we have church politics in this church? No. They're not bad compared to some churches, but we do. Guess what? Our children know about that. We may think they don't, but they do. Now, like I said, this sermon is about all churches, not just this church or the Seventh-day Adventist church. Think about other churches where there's a lot of politics, where the church is literally a business to a lot of people who are running it. Do you not see where a youth could look at this and be like, you're not sincere. This is You don't really care about me. So when as soon as I can get out of here, I'm out. That's, that's what our youth are dealing with today. And their tennis was based solely on the desire to please others. Who do you think they're talking about there? Our youth are coming to church to please someone else. Who, who are they typically trying to please? Yeah. Parents. Are they coming to church because they want to be here, or are they coming to church because they have to be here? That, that is the fight that parents have. How do you get your child to want to go to church when they could be doing something else? That is the challenges that they have. So it's not, like I said, it's, it's not a simple answer, um, a solution to this. I feel sorry for the parents who have to deal with this in these days because they have a difficult job to do. Now, uh, Hector's going to talk about loving and leaving SDA youth attitudes behavior t- towards the church.
When you think of groups of people who love the church, does youth come to mind? But that is, in fact, the SDA Youth Report. A recent study con con conducted by the Institute for Church Ministry surveyed youth to gauge their outlook on the Adventist church. Nearly 80% of the youth surveyed that they always or often love the Adventist church and would never leave it for any reason. This is very encouraging. In a time when many are concerned about the rate at which youth are leaving the Adventist church, this new research brings a waft of hope. However, we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back just yet. Unfortunately, 6% of the youth surveyed said, said that they rarely or never love the Adventist church. They are, these are the youth that should be grabbing our attention because it seems as though youth attitudes and behaviors often do, do not align. In a recent presentation to the Columbian Union Conference, Executive Com Committee, former seminary professor, A. Allen Martin, PhDs, shared a startling figure, an estimated 6 out of 70% of youth are actually leaving the church. This would show that despite their, their best intentions and values, the, church, the Adventist church is not retaining the the younger generation as it would like it. What can we do to capture and keep the, the youth, all the while growing their love of Ad, the Adventist church? Martin had some suggestions for that. He emphasized the ABCs of building relationships with the youth, authenticity, belonging, compassion, and discipleship. He also emphasized the importance of creating long-lasting relationships with adults within the church body. This re responsibility of connecting with the youth does not fall solely on the youth pastor. As Martin put it, kids are smart enough to know that the youth pastor gets paid to be their friend, he added. Not, not having a significant relationship with other, another adult makes young adults two times as likely to drop out of the church. Two times. Did you see that? Simply by inventing and inventing in personal relationships with young people, the Adventist Church is significantly more likely to keep them. So consider the ABCs of following relationships in the context of your church. Authenticity. What does it mean to be authentic? This does not mean having a contemporary ser service style or wearing jeans to church. The reverse to how you live your life or are you reflecting Jesus in all you do, not just the minutes that you are within the walls of the church? How can you show this to the young people around you? Belonging. How can you make your youth feel as, as though they belong? They are, after all, not a separate entity, but a vital part of the body of our church. How can you include in them, invest in them, and show that you, they are needed and valued? Compassion. It can be hard to show compassion and empathy to those who are far outside of our age group. It's easy as adults to forget how hard it is to be to be young. However, meeting people where they are they are is exactly how Jesus reached out to those around him. How can you compassionately connect with your youth with the youth in your congregation? Discipleship. Discipleship discipleship is the key for Christians of all ages. It is a central part of growth and maturity in Christ. What are you doing in your church to specifically disciple your youth? 
Do, the, do you have a Bible study in place that appeals to them? Could you pair up young people with an older adult as prayer partner? Developing these relationships must not be overlooked. It is, a vital, it is vital that we view our youth as having value and gifts that bring others to Christ. These, these youth are going to be the church of tomorrow. Without them, without them, the good news of Jesus will not be able to reach out the world that so desperately needs him. Okay, so the four points were authenticity, sorry, belonging, compassion, and discipleship. So that word authenticity, again, is talking about being real. I think I have a pretty good relationship with my youth. And I think I have that relationship with them because I I try to be as real with them as possible. Um, I share, I just tell them the truth. I don't, I, when it comes to the world, I want them to know that all of us are struggling. They deal with a lot of doubt. They have a lot of questions. There's a lot of things they don't know. But I also want them to know that even as grown adults, we're still dealing with the same things. We're just grown children. All right. I, I do not. I want them to feel like I'm someone that they can come talk to about whatever problem they're having, even if they're scared to talk to their parents. I believe that we have a great relationship, um, especially how, how I treat them. Sometimes I treat them kind of, I bully them a little bit just to show them who's the boss. But it's about being authentic. That's just who I am as a person. I'm trying to be authentic as an adult. I will tell them that I'm struggling with different things. I will share what I'm struggling with. I believe that that's what they're talking about here when they're talking about authenticity with the church. If we as Christians want to portray ourselves as perfect people, they cannot relate to that. They can't. And neither can we. There you go. Um, This thing about technology is it is not changing us. It's exposing us. That's what technology is doing, especially social media. And they're sharp. These kids are sharp. They know when you're being authentic and when you're faking. So really what this thing comes down to is, are we living a life where we're following what Christ instructed us to do so that when they look at us, they see somebody as being authentic and not faking it? That is what this whole thing is coming down to. And I think the the stats say that most Christians, like uh, Tim Rosenberg, I, I've been watching some of his stuff online. I think the, it was 95% that most Christians aren't really true Christians. 95%. Like they don't believe in all. I, I, so I don't, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But the stat is really high that we're not authentic. And that includes the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The other is belonging. How do we make the youth feel like they belong? Well, if you've noticed, I try to get my kids as involved as I possibly can. I even have one doing a sermon. I have one, Sebastian, who's been getting up and doing my part in the prayer for years now. I'm I'm trying to get them active and feeling like they belong and have responsibilities because how can you feel like you belong to something that you have no part in? I love that this church does a lot of things right. Like when I'm reading, when I was reading, preparing for this sermon, this church does a lot right. We still have a lot to improve on, don't get me wrong, but we do a lot right here. 
and I am very proud of that as a church. Um, compassion. This is a hard one. Um, I think it comes down to empathy. It's easy to judge a youth um, when they're making bad decisions. But are we showing compassion and empathy for what they're dealing with? How do we as 20, 30, 40-year-old teenagers identify and relate to a 14-year-old kid? That is not an easy thing to do because it's they have a whole different mindset. They have a whole their purposes and goals are different from ours, and I think sometimes we feel like they're not on the same spiritual level. Therefore, we can't have an intelligent conversation spiritually. I would beg to differ from having the conversations I've had with my youth. They comprehend more than you think, and in a lot of ways, they understand the world better than we do because they have to grow up in in this new world. And then discipleship. Um, Specifically prayer. I asked the pastor to come to my class and to teach us how to pray. Because what's going to have to happen is our youth are going to have to pray for themselves, for their friends, for their church families, for their regular families, for the world. They are our future. And if we're not teaching them how to pray and to be disciples of Christ, then we are failing them. Once again, One reason why I love the SDA church is because we do focus on the Bible truth and we pray. I love this. That's why I love this church. Now, to go back to some points earlier, these are some things I think we can do. I think this is a matter of context. When you live in America, we get spoiled into this, this life of abundance. And it's very hard sometimes for young people to get some context to what life really is about. So when you've never been hungry, uh, hooked on drugs, been in an orphanage, been homeless, sick and dying, when you've never truly experienced those things, it's hard to have context about what that really is. I believe that as a church, we need to, we need to continue to protect them. I, I thought there was a point about the, we overprotect them. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because they're already overconnected to the world as it is. But I think they need to get perspective by visiting some of these orphanages, visiting some of the homeless and the sick, visiting the elderly in the nursing homes and, and really seeing what life can really be like when it's not all comfy. Get some context so that they understand what we're trying to teach them. I think that would help a lot. Understanding how the Bible correlates to their modernly lived like. I think when we get up and do testimonies, which we don't do enough of, we share with them how the Bible and how the Lord has used the word and used his truth in our lives and how it was important. I don't think we do that enough to see how this, how it comes to church, how reading the Bible and praying is going to affect their life. I didn't realize it until I was in college and the Lord made me go through some stuff. And then I began to realize, oh, there's a lot in this, in, in this Bible that I did not understand that I understand better now. That is something that our young adults, especially those in college, are going to have to go through. Open-mindedness. They, a lot of our young people think our church is not open-minded. And in a lot of ways, it's not. But once again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Because there's a difference between open-mindedness and tolerance and acceptance and disobedience. 
we do not need to teach them disobedience just to appeal to them to their open mindedness. Because there is a fact about our millennials, which I am one of the eldest of, I guess, a millennial, and the Generation Z, they're all about their conscience, like the like a social conscience. Like they're into these movements, they're into um, um, the environment, they're into all this type of stuff, and they're open. They're into open mindedness and tolerance and all these things. And as older people, we need to recognize that, and and very tactfully teach them that we are open-minded, but we're not going to be disobedient. That, that, that There's a fine line that we're going to have to bridge a gap between us and them. And then, are we being patient with them? We have a lot of young adults right now who aren't coming to church. Are we being patient with them, or have we just made a judgment and let them be? These are just things we all are going to have to think about going forward. It's just It's not an easy problem to solve. Now, Let's go into some keys to young adult retention. I love young adults. They're spiritual, intelligent, and caring people. They love the church wholeheartedly, and they're looking to serve the church earnestly. However, they're leaving the pews while others are disengaged. What can we do to alleviate this problem? I've learned three key components to young adult retention through my interactions with, with them. Key number one. Young adults are looking for a spiritual church. Christ offers the best example of a spiritual church. In the New Testament church, Jesus, Jesus did four critical things. He prayed, lived a genuine godly life, helped the needy, and empowered his disciples. By Christ's example, he, he demonstrated that prayer was not an option, but the most needed activity in life throughout Scripture. We we need to find Jesus praying at very at every critical juncture. Jesus at times prayed all night. Every critical decision and activity activity was preceded by prayer. His baptism was the Holy Spirit and entrusted into public ministry. Commencing his evangelistic journey, select, selecting disciples during his ministry, and before announcing to the twelve his approaching death. Jesus was genuine. He walked the talk. His life demonstrated the teachings. People wanted to be with him because of his devoted life. Sinners and religious leaders alike were drawn to him because of his life he lived. Jesus took, took the time to help the needy and those suffering. There was no town that Jesus, Jesus' presence did not bring peace and healing. While his primary task was to save us from sin, he spent a great amount of time ministering to those in need, showing compassion. Jesus deliberately empowered his disciples. For three and a half years, he demonstrated how to live a life connected to God. Then he prayed for their unity and sent them to preach the gospel. He gave them authority to the Great Commission. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower them to preach the word until the end. Key number two. The young adults, young adults are looking for a church that really cares about them. In the study, lost and found, the, the younger unchurched and the churches that reach them by Ed Stetzer, Richie, St- Richie Stan- Stanley, and Jason Hayes. 58% of 20-somethings would be likely to attend church if people cared for them as a person. Young adults thrive thrive when the people in church demonstrate they really care about each other. 
They should be devoted to each other, accountable to each other, call each other, and do things together. A church cares demonst- a church that cares demonstrates love in action. They, re- they reach out and also provide a place for fellowship and hospitality. People who are lonely, dis- discouraged, or afraid can come to church and find help in, the- in their time of need. Key number three, young adults are looking for a church that lives as a community. They love the idea of joining a small group in order to learn more about the Bible and Jesus. Lifeway research affirms that young adults are longing for community and fellowship with peers, looking for ways to reach people in need and are circling the church but not always finding a home in it. Young adults are looking for a connection. Community with other young adults is extremely important in their lives. Lifeway research says that young adults seek authentic answers in the Bible and Christian tradition that are best learned through participation in small groups. Making a difference is essential, and it can be accomplished by providing opportunities to meet the needs of others on a regular basis. Social action is cited as the major reason uninvolved young adults would consider becoming part of a church. Jesus was a young adult with young adult disciples. They fulfilled God's missions because Jesus' church was a reflection of his life. Jesus' ministry, as well as contemporary research, confirms and validates the fact that young adults will be drawn to a church that is connected to God, is caring, compassionate, and lives as a community. They can easily retain and attract young adults by using a small group model in our churches. Demonstrated genuine love and interest towards those inside and outside churches and living a life that mimics that that of Jesus. Jesus demonstrates prayer is is the first and most critical step. Nothing short of a revival will lead to retention of young adults. Ellen White said it best. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. So you could say that the rate at which our youth are leaving, let's say a specific church, is probably a reflection of the spiritual maturity of the church itself. When you see that the the people in the church are genuinely serving the Lord and love the Lord and love one another, and that we genuinely care about our about them, and we're doing social activities, and we're going out and feeding the poor, and we're doing community service. All that stuff ingrains an impression upon them, okay? Because basically, hypocrisy is killing the church. Um, that is why the age, average age of the church, is getting higher and higher. It's because, like I said, technology is exposing that even more. Now, if we follow Jesus' example, he prayed. He lived a genuine godly life, he helped the needy, and he empowered his disciples. If we're going to follow that, we need to teach our kids how to pray. We need to live a genuine godly life. We need to be actively trying to help the needy, and we need to empower them to be disciples. That is what we need to do. And I think, like I said, in this church, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that, but we can always do better. Now, 
for the parents out there. I've talked to several people um, who have concerns about their youth. Um, What does the Bible say about our youth leaving the church? There's a a parable that the the Lord used and talked about this in an indirect way, but really in a direct way. And that parable was the the lost son. Um, I'm not going to read it. But can somebody summarize the story for me really quickly? What happened in that story? Can I get a volunteer? Just summarize like the high points of what happened. I'm trying to get y'all active. Come on. Anybody want to summarize it? The parable of the lost son. Well, he left home. And his father let him go. And, uh, of course, he found himself in a pig pen, uh, came to himself and came back. And as it turns out, though, it was the older brother who had the problem of receiving back somebody that came back. Uh, So in, in a sense, the one who stayed behind was lost. The one who left came back and was saved. What the Lord is telling is there's a lot of lessons in that story. A lot of lessons. But one of those lessons is this. What happened when he found this young adult found himself in a pig pen? It said he remembered. What did he remember? What he had been raised and taught all his life. That's why the verse today is Proverbs 22.6. If you raise a child up in the ways of the Lord, I'm paraphrasing, he will not depart from it. That's what happened to me in a very mild manner. I knew I was not being right. <laughs> I was not unaware. I, I, now, one thing I was reading, I was reading Ellen G. White. I read it from cover to cover. That helped a lot. It helped my understanding. That was the Lord ministering to me when I was reading The Desire of Ages, L.N.G. White's Desire of Ages. But I knew I was not being right. What my parents raised me to be, I knew I was not doing. And when the decision came, I decided that I would come home and do what's right. That is also what that parable is telling our parents. If you raise them up the right way, they may depart, but they will not forget. The greatest gift you can give a child is not wealth, prestige, or, or any of that worldly stuff. It is the Lord. That is the greatest gift you can give a child. Because when they grow up and are going through things in their life, they won't forget. They still have to make a decision, but they won't forget. There's another verse here that I'll read because it's really quick. Acts 2.17, and I'll read it. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Who in the last days? Your sons and your daughters. 
So, if you read that and take his word for it, it's going to be our youth that are going to be doing this. So there is hope. If you have a young one, a youth that's out there and you're worried and concerned, you raise them right. They will not forget. The Lord is with them. Because you placed him in their hearts. He was already in their hearts, but you reinforced it, basically. So in conclusion, one of the things I like to do with my youth is I want them to learn how to make decisions. The reason why is because this world is changing so fast that I cannot and we as parents cannot get them prepared for everything. But what we can do is to teach them how to make moral decisions because they're the ones who are going to have to navigate the world, right? Along with the Holy Spirit, they're going to have to navigate the world. So what I like to do is try to help them to think, think, think it through. What is the, moral, the correct moral decision? That is something that I work with my youth, and we're going to go over this sermon together as well. Um, basically, they have a Bible truth. Yeah, the parents here, this church, we have given them a foundation in, in, in truth. That is key. They have to have also relationships and mentorship. They have to have people they feel like they can talk to. The parents, of course, but others as well. Like I said, I, I look at all the women in this church as my mothers and all the men in this church as my fathers. That is an incredible gift, especially someone who doesn't have parents. That is a wonderful gift that I feel like I can come talk to James and be like, James, I'm having a problem. Can you help me? That's a gift. I feel like this church is doing a good job of that. And then a community that they can feel they belong to. I think this is where our biggest weakness is. I'm talking about the Seventh-day Adventist church as a whole. I think every church has its gifts and then its things that it needs to improve upon. I believe that the Baptist church is strong in community. We could take a lot of lessons from them. They know how to build community. I don't feel like that's the strength of the Seventh-day Adventist church. That's my personal opinion. I think we're trying. I think we're putting a lot of effort into it. But we could do a lot better. Community. Feeling like they belong. That's something I think we can improve on. And we have to to always constantly remind ourselves, they're watching us. They're watching us. So, what are they seeing? That's something we have to be aware of. So, to all the parents, take heart. You raise them into the truth. They will not forget. Keep those scriptures to heart. And as a church, remember, they're, they, they, they're saying that they're not leaving the faith. They're leaving the church. We know that the faith and the church, that's all one thing. But they're looking at it like it's two different things. As a church body, we've got to do a better job of making them feel, t- t- showing them the truth, not um, not being swayed off of being uh, obedient to his word, while at the same time relating to them and seeing how they see the world. Because they see it in a lot different way than we see it. And so, that's our sermon. That is the problem that we're having with the church, the youth in the church. I think there are a lot of good nuggets here of things we can do to try to keep them in it, in our church longer and all that. But at the end of the day, this is 
God is the one who's going to bring them back. All we have to do is to raise them right. And then we'll trust God that he will bring them back. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, I personally want to thank you for this church um, and all the people in it. I feel like there's a lot of love and compassion in this church. And our youth are a testament to that. Our youth today are as active as they've ever been. And I think they know that we love them and we're here for them. But we also want them to know that you're there with them. Lord, we ask that you be with our youth. And that you help them to mature spiritually. And that they can make the right decisions as they try to navigate a a ever-increasing morally corrupt world. We trust you, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit to be with them. And Lord, we just ask that you bless them all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.